Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone, welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 215 of the world's greatest podcast. Joining me today, I'm Chad Dotson by the way, joining me today is your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you, Jason? I am doing pretty good, Chad, here on take 735 of episode 215. It's hard to laugh because I'm I'm a little upset right now. Let me explain to the listeners what Jason's talking about. We uh, had some issues with the first three times we tried to record this podcast, and we had to stop and start over every time. And um, But eventually we got going, and we were rolling, man. This was the best podcast, best like 30 minutes of a podcast we'd ever recorded, ever including one of my favorite moments in the history of Red Leg Nation Radio. And listen, everybody, Chad made me feel really bad just so he could say a certain name. I, I really did. I mean, we will talk, well, let's, we'll talk about that in just a second, just to let everybody know, because it was, a, it was a moment where I made you feel really bad, and then after it was over, I felt really bad for making <laughs> you feel bad. Um, because I love you, Jason, man. But we recorded a podcast, and then my computer crashed in the middle of a rant about Adam Duvall from your buddy Jason Linden. And, I mean, it crashed at the worst moment because I felt like we were on a roll, and then I restarted the computer, and I thought, well, that's okay. we still got that, and we'll just, you know, we'll say what happened, and we'll start over. I mean, we'll start where we left off. And I, it, where it crashed like that, it didn't, it didn't keep the recording. And so now we're starting over. Oh, we were on such a high from the way the Reds have been playing. And then to have that happen, it's really, uh, it's really upsetting. Anyway, Jason, let's, let's talk about, we were talking about the big 50. That's the book that I wrote with Chris Garber, the big 50, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. And uh, this weekend, by the way, we have a book signing at the Reds hall of fame, uh, two o'clock on Saturday, June the, 30th and Chad's mom is going to be there and she's giving everyone free cookies. (laughs) We did mention, I don't remember the cookies, but we did talk about, she will be there. Uh, This was a great podcast. You all missed. I'm so sorry. You get to miss out on all this uh, because we were having fun. The Reds are winning, but uh, this Saturday before the Reds game, two to four at the Reds hall of fame and the Reds threads, Chris Garber and I'll be there meeting people, signing you both. Come out and see us. Um, Come out and, you know, and again, as, as I said, ask me to say whoever, whoever's name you want me to say, and I'll say it in this goofy accent. Well, uh, and then, you know, Jason and I were joking around about the book a little bit and uh, asked him if he knew who wrote the foreword to the book. And Jason said. Well, I I made a variety of amusing guesses. um, Yes. From Ted Williams to Babe Ruth. And then I started to hit around at what I thought was the correct answer, which was Marty Brenneman. Marty Brenneman did write the foreword to the big. Right. But Chad's like, no, no, no. And then I felt really bad because Chad's book is next on my pile. I haven't started it yet. Yeah, and I'm, t- and I'm, I'm telling him, Jason, you've broken my heart. You've not even read my book yet. And then, and then he says, do you know who wrote the foreword, Jason? And then say it, Chad. <laughs> I said it was Luis Alberto Bonilla. But, but he didn't really write the foreword. I was just giving Jason a hard time, and then Jason got upset with me. I kind of wish you could go back in time and have him write the foreword for you. I do. He's going to write the foreword to the next book, no doubt. But uh, Jason got seriously upset with me. And well, I mean, it's because, you know, you were terrible. 
and I was really bad to him because he was feel, he was like, oh man, I haven't read this book yet, and 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 Chaz, my buddy, and and he's mad at me now, and I don't even know who wrote the forward, and he really did know, and and he's really going to read it. Yes, I really am going to read it, and I remember the conversation we had before the book was even published. Like, <laughs> right. Yes. I think I think I'm going to get Marty to write the forward, and I was like, oh man, that's awesome. And then I was like, wait, did the Marty thing fall through, and I didn't realize it? No. no, it didn't. Chad is just a cruel, callous human being. Oh yeah, that was really not very nice. <laughs> that was nice, but it was all in the in the serving and, the purpose of a greater good. Everyone is, loves Chad, and uh, and Chad's. You know, <laughs> why don't you ever say it? Is held held for Chad uh, Chadwick Q. Dotson. Uh, the Q stands for Quincy, and his other middle name is also Ulysses. That's true. Um, According to you on Redignation dot com, I, I can't get you to ever say. That guy's name. What, Luis Alberto Bonilla? Thank you. You don't say it as well as I do, though. I you know, it's because it's like it's like being a hitter with in the presence of Joey Votto. Like, when you say that name, it's if I try to say it, it's just it's, I'm going to make myself look bad. <laughs> yeah, That's right. It is. When you're in the presence of greatness... You acknowledge the greatness. You don't try to. You don't try to top it. You don't try to compete with it. It's really strange. Even though you're a you know Louisville, Kentucky boy, you you, you don't have this ridiculous accent like me. It's just a normal no, accent. I, I don't. I'll tell a personal anecdote about why I don't. If you would, if you, if our listeners would like to hear it, don't worry. My computer's going to shut down again, and nobody's going to hear this anyway. So once upon a time, among other things, I was a little bit of a theater nerd in high school. And at one point, we did a play where we were supposed to talk in, like, hick accents or whatever. And I was doing it, and I had a realization that this is way too easy. And so I spent the rest of my high school career training myself out of the accent. Yeah, I wasn't a drama nerd. Um, My kids are, and I wish I had been. They have so much fun. But um, I can't believe it. I thought I found a guy from Louisville. I thought, here's somebody that's not going to make me sound, you know, less of a hick. Well, and, yeah. I mean, again, Chad, like this is like the opposite of when you say Luis Alberto Bonilla. Like, you're already so far to that side of the spectrum. I don't can, less. I don't know, man. <laughs> just, just own it. Just be where you are. I guess when I was in college, a little anecdote uh, about my accent. When I was in college, uh, taking Spanish. And I took uh, three years of Spanish in high school and four semesters in college, and I can I can still count to ten in Spanish. But uh, yeah, my six year old also can do that. <laughs> I know, right? That's how much I remember of it. I can speak more Italian than I can Spanish. But uh, the the teacher this wasn't very nice. But the professor uh, in college that uh, taught Spanish in my first year called me El Gringo. <laughs> That's not nice, is it? It's not nice, but it's still. <laughs> Jason, let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. This has been a ridiculous night. We've had everything jump in front of us in terms of being able to record this podcast, but yet we are still here. We're still recording. We're still having fun, uh, and and it's a good time to have fun about the Cincinnati Reds because they've won. Uh, let's see, nine of their last ten. They've won twelve out of fifteen. They are surging, the hottest team in the major leagues, and you know, a lot of fun right now, right? They are a lot of fun. And, you know, one of the things that we already talked about, but it, it bears repeating <laughs> since that recording is lost into the ether, is that there is a serious recency effect going on here. And you and I are falling victim to it, and everybody else is, too. Um, you know, I, I run this poll 
periodically for the, the championship track uh, uh, column that I write. Um, <laughs> that you've been or, writing even back when the Reds were Owen a thousand. Yes. Uh, I run it about, I run various polls, but I run this one in particular about once a month or try to, which is it's, it's politically styled. It's, you know, are the Reds as an organization on the right track or moving in the wrong direction? And last I looked, like, I don't think it had quite expired when last I looked, but something like 93% of the respondents had said that the Reds are moving in the right direction. And which is far and away the, the best results I've gotten on this poll the whole season. But I was much, much happier with the Reds as an organization before the season started than I am now. Because even though they are playing well and, and they have found their level, you know, because people are healthy and, and people are hitting and the pitching's developing and all that stuff, the Reds have made some really boneheaded decisions this season, especially at the beginning of the season. Um, and I've lost some confidence in the front office, even though I still generally feel okay with the direction they're heading in. Uh, I'm a little more worried about sort of like ridiculous screw-ups than I was back at the beginning of the season. I think that's a great point, and it's a really good way to frame this. Uh, that is the recency bias, that people are a lot more excited about the direction of the franchise now. At the beginning of the season, you and I were pretty excited about the direction of this team. Uh, you know, I yes. predicted uh, tongue-in-cheek that they'd make the playoffs, but we both thought they'd be a 500 team this year. Oh, and, I thought there was absolutely a chance that things would break right and they'd be in the wild card hunt. Yeah, yeah, that, and that was the point with the playoff piece that I wrote, was that, you know, they're going to be around 500, and if, you know, get a little bit lucky, they could sneak into the, the playoff hunt. And... um at that time, I was pretty optimistic. Now, after seeing things like Giovanni Gallardo and Cliff or Chad or Chris or, I don't know, Corey Pennington. Bill Goslington. See, I wasn't going to mention him because he went to UVA, and, and, and I don't like to criticize UVA players, Jason. Well, we don't criticize him. We can just say that he was the same as the other guy. <laughs> right. Um uh, anyway, but after those decisions and then the completely baffling and still absurd, ridiculous refusal to call up Nick Senzel all season until he had a season-ending injury, and I'm not saying that they caused the season-ending injury by no. not calling him up, but um, all these things, I was optimistic about him. And now, although I still, I think Dick Williams and Nick Crawl, I think they're really smart guys, and I really think that they're, I don't think they get their a fair shake with Reds fans sometimes. And I think they could bring this team back to prominence. I have not lost complete faith in them, but I'm wavering some because of some of these questionable decisions, primarily Nick Senzel, but also the other ones mentioned. And so I'm a little less optimistic about the future of this rebuild than I was at the beginning of the season. And uh, so it, it, we're we're sort of on the opposite side of where most fans are. But the flip side of that is that you and I both feel like this team now the team we're watching now, now, you know, the Reds are not going to win 90% of their games the rest of the season, but the team we're watching now, sort of the team we expected, right? Yeah, I'm completely the team we expected, which is to say, like, kind of right around 500, um, which is what they've been for the last two months, basically. They've been a 500 ball club, and great, cool. Um, I am in favor of the Reds being, you know, a lot better than they have been um, in recent years. I, I had a tweet recently where I had to go back and look and um, 2016 I think I said it was a little bit of a weird year so I might have missed a particular set of endpoints where this would be the case but as far as I can tell they haven't had a stretch this long where they were over 500 since 2015 that's good uh, 
Yeah, it's good. It's been a couple. It's been a couple years since the Reds have played baseball this well over this ex- extended a period of time, which is so. It's nice to see. You know, it, it is nice to see. And I think, like all people, you know, it's a lot easier to forgive some of the sort of like smaller mistakes that they make when they're playing well. Then by they, I mean like the front office. Than it is when they're playing poorly, and you know they're also like you know, inadvertently putting like mustard on donuts. Like, why would you do that? I don't know. But if you win the game, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's it's an exciting time. And first four game sweep of the Cubs since April of 1983. Uh, Longest winning streak since 2012, which is so much fun to beat the Cubs. Oh my goodness. A four game sweep of the Cubs is like, that's almost as good as winning the world series. Especially when you do it at home and you get to see all those Ridiculous, stupid Cubs fans walking out in their blue shirts, sad. Yeah, the Cubs fans up was just the best thing. I decided about seven or eight years ago, I'm not coming to another Reds Cubs game at Great American Ballpark because as the Cubs started getting better, there was just it was these obnoxious fans everywhere. Uh, I went to a game at Wrigley once, the Reds and the Cubs, and I was the only guy watching the game. The Cubs fans were just drinking beer and having fun, which you know whatever, but they they were kind of garbage at that time, but. Um, Anyway, you know, okay, it's fun. We need to have fun with it. And so let's have some fun here, Jason. Let's let's talk about let's get a little crazy. The Reds need to go forty seven and thirty five the rest of the season to finish five hundred. Forty seven and thirty five. Twelve games over, five hundred for the next, you know, what we got, July, August, September, three months of the season. Yep. Um forty seven and thirty five the rest of the year to finish five hundred. Jason, that's really not I mean, it's not likely. I don't think they're going to do it, but it's not crazy. No, it's not. It's not crazy at all. Um, I think it is completely within the realm of possibility. You know, again, are what are the odds? Eh, they're not good, but they're not non-existent. You know, I I, I tweeted again. You know, let's just talk about my Twitter feed today. But <laughs> two games ago, the right your Twitter point, your Twitter feed is usually a disaster. By the way. People just are attacking you and saying crazy things and trying to make you feel bad. I say things and then people tell me that I'm dumb. Yes. Without any evidence to back up their assertion. Of course. But anyway, the Reds won a game, and I notice I look at this periodically in in sort of the vague, vague hope that that, that, that there will be something nice happen. And and on fan graphs, the, the probability of the Reds making the playoffs ticked up from 0.0% to 0.1%. And what was the primary response to that? It was a bunch of GIFs, right? Yes, it was the Jim, the Jim Carrey GIF of, so you're saying there's a chance. And <laughs> there's a chance. There's, there is a chance. It could happen. It, <clears throat> it, it almost certainly will not, but it could. But that's something, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, yeah. it's one-tenth of one percent, but it's you're going in the right direction. Yeah. And the Reds have played well enough lately that there is now a better chance that they will win 80 games than that they will win 60 games. And And that, I mean, you can tell me a more comforting thing after the way they started the season. Yeah. A month ago, we would never have said that. Never. If you had told us that like, you know, if you had told us on April 23rd that, Hey, guess what? On, you know, at the end of June, it will be more likely that the Reds will win 80 games than 60. We would have 
offered to sell somebody some, you know, beachfront property in Idaho. Right. I mean, but here we are, nevertheless. You know, they're projected to win in the low 70s in games. Um, they're close enough to the Pirates that it is completely possible to imagine them not finishing in last place. Wait, what? To, yeah, I know. <laughs> and to feel that that's, you know, that is a thing that isn't, I, I, I don't know whether you would classify it as likely or not, but there's a real solid chance that the Reds don't finish last in their division. Yeah, that's not even a stretch yeah. to suggest that. That wouldn't be surprising in the least. Like, two teams at the bottom of a division swapping places over the course of three months. Like, yeah, that, that wouldn't even be remotely surprising. You made a great point on, uh, I'm going to call this episode 215B of the podcast, the long, the lost edition of episode 215A. You made a great point on the one that we lost earlier. And I said basically the Reds, at this, from this point, they need to go 39 and 43 to avoid a fourth consecutive 90-loss season. And you made the point that just sort of emotionally, mentally, uh, in terms of the psyche of the Reds fan base, that would be huge to avoid that 90-loss season. And they've only, they only need to go 39 and 43 to avoid that. I can't believe it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's one of those things where if your team loses, say, like 85 games, you can be like, all right, there's some work to do. But you can imagine it. It's, it's in that realm where, especially with a young team like the Reds, guys still developing – like, you know, if we add a piece or two, we, we, we might compete next year. But if you lose 90 games, it's always been like, yeah, we're still a good couple of years away, probably. That's a, you know, that's a big jump to make. But the 80, you know, if you're losing in kind of the low to mid 80s, then that's something that you feel like you can, you can, you feel like contention is not far away. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to just avoid saying this is our fourth loss, fourth 90 loss season in a row. Just to be able to, you can sort of see, even though even though it's not a lot of progress, given the way they started the season, it's a pretty it's pretty substantial progress. But you can sort of see, all right, we're going in the right direction, which goes back to your your question that you asked. So, I think it's uh, I think it's likely at this point, and maybe this is just me, the recency bias, and the fact that I love watching Reds baseball when they're playing well, and but. I thought this was a 500 team. If they just go 500 the rest of the season, they're going to lose, you know, 88 games or something. And hey, I can live with that, can't you? Oh God! After the way the season started, who couldn't? I mean, it seemed like 100 losses was almost guaranteed. And I, I mean, I mathematically, it's hard to lose 100 games. But boy, they were trying. They were on pace to lose 127 or something at one point. Yeah. Yeah, and now they're on pace, you know, I don't know, well, I don't know what the actual pace is, but the, the projections are that they'll win about 72 games right now, um, which would just, I mean, I guess that would be a 90-loss season technically, but I, I think they might do a bit better than that. And just 72 wins just feels like a miracle at this point. After the, what, 3-18 and 18 or whatever start. And, yeah. yeah, and if it's if it's 73-89, and 89, I don't know. I just, to me it's going to be really big to not be able to say it's the first time since the 1930s that they lost 90 games in a season for four straight years. Uh, and I think the front office will be justified in making the case that given the horrific start, this was a season where they made real progress. But I th here's my opinion. We have talked about that bad start. They could have started this run 
or at least a run of playing 500 ball a lot sooner if they hadn't made so many dumb decisions early in the season. And that's where I don't excuse the front office for just some garbage decisions early in the year. They were not ready. They did not put a team on the field that was capable of withstanding any injuries. They had some, you know, veteran presences. Well, and the, I mean, the thing about that was, though, is the organization was capable of sustaining the injuries. They just didn't use their cards in the right way. They refused. Yes, exactly. I mean, Eugenio Suarez goes down immediately. Either Alex Blandino or Nick Senzel should be starting at third base the next night. Every day. Yes. Every day. Not Cliff Pennington. Not Phil Goslin. Oh, you got some bullpen problems? Dear Lord, don't go sign like yo. Bonnie Gallardo's corpse. God, if you have to, go get Lisa Alberto Bonilla. I'm sure you can get a hold of him still. Who? Wait, he would what? be a better option. You Wait. heard it. I've said it three times this podcast, man. That's that's all you're getting out. That's all you're getting out of me. Lisa Alberto Bonilla. Yes, uh, or Kyle Crockett, who has come up and been incredible. Hasn't given up a run since he uh, uh, lefty. How about him? The Reds signed him as a minor league free agent. Also, another University of Virginia guy. Or, hey, what about, um, well, I guess Dylan Floro, I guess, came up pretty much right away. He came up early, but and, and he's been fantastic. Yeah. And, there and, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of better options. And, yes, the bullpen was, was beleaguered and all of that stuff. But, man, they could they could have done better. They, they really could have done better. It brings up a, a, a question because there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that they had guys better than Cliff Pennington. And uh, Phil Goslin, look at Alex Blandino and Brandon Dixon right now. Both better options. Yeah. They had better options than Giovanni Gallardo, Kyle Crockett. Yeah, I mean, you know, come on. And so it brings up to me the question of, was Brian Price dictating some of that? Wanting the veteran guys instead? I mean, we don't know the answer to this, and it's complete speculation. But, uh, you know, it makes you wonder whether the organization was deferring too much to the manager which is another reason for a little bit of skepticism about whether this front office is going to be capable of leading the Reds uh, back to a, a good team. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. Because that easily the most baffling thing was when they ro- broke camp with both Phil Gosselin and Cliff Pennington on the rock. That made no sense at all. <laughs> and we I, all said that from the beginning. I, I think all of us assumed when they got those two guys, oh, yeah, one of them's going to be your actual backup shortstop. That's fine. They don't want a prospect up here just sitting on the bench. Yeah, that's fine. And, and one of them's going to go be organizational depth. At which right? is also and, fine. Yeah, which also would be fine. But that, then they both made the roster like, what? On what? What? Where are we? That made no sense whatsoever. Well, I, you know, I was okay with it because one of the guys was a UVA guy, and I'm completely biased for guys that went to University of Virginia. Yeah. You, you well, disagree? You you don't have a UVA bias? I I have no feelings about. I went to a Division three school, Chad. Okay. Well, this is your last episode of the podcast, so enjoy it now, buddy. Yeah, it's <laughs> Washington University Bears Division three. Ooh, the Bears! Yeah, exciting. That's a good school. Maybe not the best uh, sports programs, but uh, fantastic school. So, it's, but it's a good school. if if you're looking I've for a reason to taught at for ten years. At a bigger football stadium than we did. <laughs> Let me just say this, though. I need to say this to our listeners. I mean, I think we need to have full disclosure here. If you're looking for a reason to dislike Jason Linden, Jason, tell me where Washington University is located. It's in St. Louis, Chad. St. Louis. Jason is a closet Cardinals fan in our midst. No. No? no. 
No. Don't, no, no, no not, don't throw that at me, man. That's not even funny to joke about, is no, it? That's not funny. We don't know. <laughs> All right. How did you stand at living in St. Louis? Uh, I mean, I, somehow I still managed to get WLW in college. That's funny. I did too. I did as well. I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, could still pick up WLW every night. Yeah, so. I still, I still, I still kept track of the Reds, and yeah. you know, also college was happening. And I think for all of us, some, you know, it's not like you know, baseball can tend to fade into the background a little bit in college or whatever. Also, I will point out that you selected someone who is currently, I don't know if he's graduated yet or not, I don't think so, currently at Washington University in St. Louis to write for Red Leg Nation. So. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. There's more than one of you guys. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to take things over. I think he graduated. Did he? Well, still. I mean, that's, that's many yeah. more Washington University alums than Virginia alums. We have two St. Louis diplomas in our midst Yeah, at redlegnation.com. I mean, Virginia, shouldn't you be like an Orioles fan or something? <laughs> I went to school in D.C. The Nationals weren't around at that time because I'm old, but um, I went to a lot of Orioles games there. I'm Listen, come on. I'm much closer where I live in Virginia. People don't realize this. Where I live is closer to uh, eight state capitals than it is to Virginia's state capital, and I am about twice as close to Cincinnati as I am to Washington, D.C., which, but where you're actually closest to is nowhere. Well, I'm close to Eastern Kentucky, yeah, well, which is which is kind of nowhere. I love my Eastern Kentucky friends, but you know. Anyway, okay, whatever, Jason. Stop, stop mocking me. Just because I started to mock you doesn't give you a reason to mock me. I don't need a reason to mock you, Chad. That's a good point. I have a ridiculous accent. Um, all right, let's move on to the next biggest thing. We're happy about the way the Reds are playing. Let's let's put a cap on this one because I want to mention something. Sometimes people come, jump into your timeline on Twitter and try to bring you down, and I I love your response every time this happens. Uh, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but you want to go ahead and say that. Uh, what is it? Is it? Are you referring to "Don't be a turd"? Well, not specifically those terms because this is a family podcast, Jason Lennon. I'm sorry, I used the word "turd." That's a little risque for this podcast, Jason. Yeah. No, just basically, don't harsh my mellow, man. Yeah, let me have fun. <laughs> Baseball's supposed to be fun. It is supposed to be fun. Yeah, let's enjoy it when it's when it's fun. And, and right now it's fun. You know, I, I'm i making a lot more of an effort all of a sudden to watch Reds games uh, than I was even a few weeks ago. Uh, it's It's nice. Yeah, they're they're a fun team to watch. The pitching's better. The hitting's fantastic. There's a lot of good hitters up and down the lineup. A lot of fun guys to watch. It's uh, they're are they the best team in baseball? Well, they're playing like it right now, but they're not the best team in baseball. But they are a legitimate team. I mean, I, they're 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 the team we thought they'd be. So, okay, let me just say this then. This is a conversation that we already finished on our last podcast, episode two hundred fifteen A. But it's an important topic because it's what everyone's talking about in Redsland these days. Earlier this week, Bobby Nightingale, one of the beat writers for the Cincinnati Inquirer, and there's been a couple of pieces in the Cincinnati Inquirer about this, he tweeted out uh, his latest story. The Reds have a roughly 500, I don't know what it is now, it's different than it was at the time he tweeted out, but a roughly 500 record under Jim Riggleman. Is that enough to remove the interim manager label? And Almost everyone on Twitter said, yes, 
You and I say no. No. My response was LOL, no way. But tell tell us why that's a ridiculous assertion to Because it's two months. And let's be honest, people really are making this call based on the last about two or three weeks, which is just dumb. It's baseball. And do people like have you watched baseball? Do you understand how it works? Because it doesn't work in the way that a manager magically makes a team win way more games. What matters is that Eugenio Suarez is healthy and Scott Shebler is healthy and the bullpen is healthy and so on and so forth. You know, one of the things, just a quick aside here, we were both talking about how if the Reds got like a little bit lucky, they could have been in the wild card hunt. Well, you want to talk about getting unlucky within, what, a week? They had two players hit the disabled list because of getting hit by a pitch. How often does that happen? Yeah, unlucky is the way to describe it. It that. was a very unlucky start to the season. And I mean, you you can't completely, you know, exonerate managers for team performance. I think they certainly have to be viewed as having some effect, but you can't you can't just be like, "Oh, Jim Riggleman, you're the manager because the Reds have played well for two months." Just no. Yes. And but I think you will agree with me on this. It's not a criticism of Riggleman. He gets some credit for what they're doing now. It's just a simple principle that it makes no sense to limit yourself to just the guy that happens to be here. The Reds need to do a full-scale, extensive search for the best manager they can find. And if it's Jim Riggleman, fine. If it's not Jim Riggleman, then, you know, the Reds need to hire whoever he is. Here's the way I put it. You know, someone asked me on Twitter, and I'll go ahead and quote it, out of curiosity, if Riggleman gets them into the wild-card hunt, do you still do a full search? Is there is there a line where he gets the job without doing a full search? My response is, the Cincinnati Reds could go undefeated for the rest of this season, and the Reds should still conduct an extensive, full-scale search for the next manager. And the reason why is that this is a billion-dollar corporation, the Cincinnati Reds. This is big business. And the field manager has probably less impact on the team than most people think, but he does have plenty of impact under the team. And so the Reds need to do a serious, an extensive search for the best manager they can find. Jim Riggleman should be one of those candidates. He should be one of the guys that gets an interview. They should uh, seriously consider him as the next manager. And if at the end of this hiring process, Jim Riggleman it turns out to be the best available manager on planet Earth, then the Reds should hire Jim Riggleman. But if Jim Riggleman is not the best manager on planet Earth that's available to the Reds, then the Reds should go out and hire the guy that is the best. This should not even be controversial. This should not even be a question. Jim Riggleman should be one of the candidates. I'm not criticizing him. He has a he gets some credit for the way the Reds are playing. But it is the height of stupidity to suggest that the Reds should just go ahead and sign him to a, a contract when no other team in baseball has beaten down his door to hire the him. Uh, you know, he's been unemployed, uh, or no one's offered him a manager job. He's not been unemployed, but no one's offered him a manager job since he walked out on the Washington Nationals. It's not like the Reds are going to you know, lose the opportunity to hire him if they don't hire him right now. What's the point? Why settle for a manager if you haven't done the homework to determine that he's the best available manager on earth? 
that's the point I make, Jason. And I, you, I think I know you agree with me. But do you have anything to add to that? No, that you said it perfectly. That's exactly right. Do do your due diligence. Get get your things in order, and and then hire the best guy for the job. And if it's Jim Riggleman, all right. And if it's not, then okay too. Like, but the idea that no, I'm sorry, just no. <laughs> but but the chances Here, that it's going to be Riggleman are pretty slim, don't you think? Let let me put this into context. Please do for everybody. Please do. So I am not in this camp. In fact, I'm I'm pretty squarely in the. I think the Reds should stick with him for a little bit, Camp. But one of the players that a lot of people are looking to replace in the lineup is Jose Peraza, right? That's true. In 2016, in 256 plate appearances in 72 games, Jose Peraza hit 324, 352, 411. That's good. That is good. And, you know, he's been a solid hitter. I'm not, you know, this is, I'm not bringing a dig in on Jose Peraza at all. I'm, I'm, I'm a Jose Peraza believer. But if you think that what Jim Riggleman has done means that he should be entitled to have, a, you know, probably a couple-year contract with the Reds, then you think that those 72 games from Jose Peraza should give him a, a quite a long leash from the Reds, which he's gotten, but you know, a lot of people have been lobbying for him to be benched since like the beginning of last year. Yeah. If Scooter Jeanette has a bad month of July, see, Cut him. <laughs> get rid of him. Joey Votto was zero for one and got thrown out of the game last night. Cut him. The point is, we don't make decisions on players based on a small sample size. There is, it would be ridiculous for the Reds to hire Jim Riggleman as their full-time manager going forward based on a small sample. Yeah. And that Again, that should not be controversial. It seems to be, but it should not be. And it's killing me the way that uh, these, some, of the, some of the national writers and even local writers are. And maybe it's just I'm trying to create content. I don't know. Trying to create uh, some, no, some buzz. Right. It's silly. It's, uh, I think what it is, frankly, is... I think sometimes you run into writers trying needing they need content and they've got to find something to write about. And they're playing to their audience a little bit. Yeah. We're not playing to our audience, Jason, or maybe we are playing to our audience who's in consists of one person. My mom. Hi, hi mom. And uh I don't think my mom we both she may know I do a podcast. I don't know. She's just a sweet little lady. Um How's your mom doing? My mom's doing well. She has no idea that I have a podcast. <laughs> no idea. I saw you guys, uh, were you like working with your dad on putting a floor down or something? What was that all about? Yeah, it's just like, hey, are we going into Jason's home improvement now? <laughs> Jason's uh, Instagram account right now. My kids currently share a converted attic as their room. And as my daughter is nine and not going to be willing to share a room with her brother forever, uh, I've got to put some walls up because it's a huge space. It's more than big enough for two kids. But, uh, but yeah, no, we laid down new floor and we're prepping for walls and things of that nature. Uh, we're going to have to start a segment every week. Jason's, Jason's home improvement tips. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, here's so, a dad is in all the home improvement pictures. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, believe me, I get it. Same with my dad. Okay. So number one, the Reds are playing great recently. We're really happy about that. It's awesome. Have fun watching the Reds because baseball should be fun. Number two, 
Jim Riggleman gets some credit for it. He should not be hired right now. It's ridiculous to even suggest it. But let him be a candidate, and if he's the best guy, okay, whatever, fine. The next one I want to ask you about is uh, the piece that I wrote for Cincinnati Magazine this week. And it's called, uh, I don't remember what the title was, but anyway, I suggested that the Reds should make Scott Shevler the start, primary starting center fielder for the Reds for the rest of this season and uh, and see if he can handle it. Now, you and I haven't talked about this, and I don't know what your opinion is about this, and you may completely disagree with me, which is fine. That's part of the fun of the podcast, but what do you think about that idea? I have complicated feelings. Um, I will now air my complicated feelings I'm in excited. the direction of you and your mom, my Chad's mom. I'm excited to hear um, this. So one of the things that's been bugging me and that I've been for a while is I just noticed a couple of random things a, a while ago where players moving up the defensive spectrum by in terms of wins above replacement, all of a sudden we're having much better defensive numbers. I saw your tweet about that. Yeah, week. and it just it didn't make sense to me, right? It just kind of bothered me. And so I went kicking around, and I, I found an article that I think I actually edited in its first, you know, when it first went up. But it had been a few years, and I hadn't looked back at it. But I hadn't seen it until you, until you tweeted it out. Yeah, but basically I made the case that – it made the case. I didn't make the case. I'm not, I'm not smart enough to write this particular article. Um, that It was Jeff Sullivan, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. The, the basically positional adjustments are more or less correct in terms of how they orient the defensive spectrum, but they're too big. Um, this is getting to a point about the Reds outfield. And basically the, the argument that it makes is that, you know, effectively defense is not – quite as important as we think it is across the spectrum, which is to say the bottom end of the spectrum and the top end of the spectrum are not as far apart as we believe that they are, or as we're currently acting as though they are. If that is the case, then Scott Shebler has a better case for playing center field than we might think given how we are currently assigning defensive value. Um, If it's wrong, and, and it is as big as we say, then, then it gets a little dodgier. But, you know, one of the areas where I can definitely get on board with you, and I'm going to leave, you referred to my Adam Duvall rant. By the way, you're still there this time, right, Chad? I'm still here, man. We haven't, you know, they haven't stopped recording yet. Which is that, and they, this is no knock on Adam Duvall. I don't, you know, I'm not impugning his, like, ability. Like, I, I'm impugning his ability a little bit, but I know he tries hard, and I know they're all doing Every major league player, more or less, is doing their best all the time. But for the last calendar year, Adam Duvall has hit 208, 278, 397. That's not a starter in the big leagues. No, that's not a starter in the big leagues. That's not. You can maybe get by with that if you are Billy Hamilton in the outfield, because those are sort of Billy Hamilton level hitting numbers. Oh, ugh, that's not a. They are though. That's not a compliment. No, it's not. But given that. It does, like, he needs to be benched. It's just, it's time to bench Adam Duvall. And the the two outfielders who should be playing every day are Jesse Winker and Scott Shevler. Now, the interesting thing is that if, you know, defensive values are perhaps, you know, for they're perhaps out of whack, then the guys on the lower end of the defensive spectrum are kind of getting a, a bum deal in terms of how their value is perceived. Um, and so then there's a real good case that they should, that and those who are hitting well enough, certainly that they should be playing every day. So every day, Jesse Winker is in left field and every day, 
uh, Scott Shebler is in center field, except for the days when Scott Shebler is in right field because Billy Ham because it's a huge outfield or whatever, and Billy Hamilton's in center. And you know, Adam Dunn is kind of the fourth outfielder who who like spells people or whatever. But you know, the 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 real important point here is that Shebler and Winker have shown that they should play every day, and Duvall and Hamilton have not. So, you know, the, the four-man rotation really needs to be a two-man rotation where Hamilton and Duvall are playing every day. And, and just for the record, um, Adam Duvall, because I had to look this up while I was talking, has been 25% below league average since July 1st last year. Billy Hamilton's been 31%, so that's kind of below league average. That's kind of a wash, and Billy Hamilton's way better defensively uh, and adds value in other places that Adam Duvall doesn't. So Adam Duvall is kind of should be the odd man out here. And Scott Shebler, I, I would say, absolutely should be playing every day, be it in center field or right field. He he certainly should. Yeah. No, I mean I I don't I don't disagree with any of that. I think it's a a great sort of exploration of what this sort of rotation the Reds have had in the outfield needs to be. I think it's very clear, and and I think Adam Duvall could be a great fourth outfielder. Some pop, uh, he's even got some uh, value defensively if you use him as a late inning replacement and a double switch or something. You know, uh, I don't mind Adam Duvall. He's actually relatively cheap too, so the Reds mm-hmm. could keep him around if they can't get anything for him. I don't have any problem with that, but the problem is he was an All Star, and so everybody thinks he needs to start. And no, I mean he's just not that guy anymore, and, and I hate it because I like the guy. That he hit thirty home runs two years in a row, so everybody thinks he needs to start. Yeah, which is good. I mean, you know, I like guys that hit thirty home runs. Yeah, but but he didn't really do anything else. But the only two guys that are in this rotation, quote unquote, that really have to play every day, are Jesse Winker and Scott Shebler. And my piece for Cincinnati Magazine about Shebler as the center fielder for the rest of the season. First of all, it was very difficult for me to write because my favorite player is Billy Hamilton. I love Billy Hamilton. When Billy's doing the things Billy does, Billy is better than anybody and more exciting than anyone. But my point was this. I, I started digging into Shepard because I was going to write a piece originally just about how he was having a great season with the bat and how he's showing that he needed to be in consideration to be one of the key guys uh, for the next good Reds team. That he, He'd proven he needed to, he's starting to prove that he needs to the Reds can stick around with him for the next two or three years. He's likely to be a pretty good hitter. And so I started looking at his defensive numbers, expecting to see that he was going to be garbage in center field. Because when I watch him, he's not catching the balls Billy Hamilton gets to. And every time he miss, he can't get to one of them, I'm like, ugh, Billy would have gotten that one. So I had it in my mind that, and I've been saying all year, eh, I just don't see that Scott Shepard can be an everyday center fielder. And I started to waver on that because I looked at the the metrics and, you know, these defensive metrics, take them for what they're worth, I don't know, but the metrics did not show that he's bad in center field. Matter of fact, it shows that he's been a slightly above average and certainly better than he has been in right field, if you can believe it. And so I thought, you know, maybe there's enough uncertainty there in those metrics that maybe he could handle center field. And maybe the reason why I have this idea in my mind that he's not a good defensive center fielder is because he's not as good as Billy Hamilton. But nobody's as good as Billy Hamilton as far as I'm concerned defensively. And so that's an unfair comparison. And I thought, well, you know, maybe we can try him on a more consistent basis in center field the rest of this year, and the Reds can find out. Can he be the center fielder going forward? 
And if he can, that answers one of the big questions facing this team. If he can't, the Reds are getting some information there. They now know that they've only got uh, two corner outfielders and a winker and shelter they can count on going forward, and they got to go find a center fielder. And that was my point. Let's just I don't know if he can be the starting center fielder going forward. I, I don't know if he can handle it. Uh, there are some reasons I think that there's a chance that he might be able to. But, man, this this season now, this is the perfect time to find out. And that's really all I was saying about why the Reds should install him as the starting center fielder. Um, so does that sort of make a little bit more sense to you, Jason? It makes complete sense. And, I, and you know, let's be honest. It, everybody in the world, every baseball team out there, understands that really on a good team, Billy Hamilton and Adam Duvall are, are fourth outfielders. They're bench players. Yes. And so the Reds, by playing them every day, they're not going to magically get more trade value out of them. Everybody knows what they are. And they probably can yield some kind of a return in a trade package. But, you know, it's not neither of them is Chris and Yelich. Um, and fine. But, you know, one or both of them need to be traded, probably, um, to, for whatever kind of modest return you can get there. And then it's time to move on because they, you know, they're just not they're, – they're not part of the long-term picture. That's that's all we're saying. It's I don't want to I don't criticize Billy that much because Billy is what he is. We know what he is, and I love the guy. He plays so hard and he works so hard. And I you know, and the same with Duvall. I I feel like people think we're criticizing them. They just are what they are, and you know, there's that's okay. You know, I could go as hard as I can go and work as hard as I can. And I'm not going to be as good uh, as good as you know Jesse Winker at hitting. Or Joey Votto, or whoever, Scooter Jeanette. Um, it's not, you know, to say that Duvall is not quite good enough to be an everyday starter right now, it just is what it is. And I fear, we talked about earlier, some concerns we have over the uh, front office. I think that was in this podcast, not in the one we lost to the ether, but, you know, there's there are there has been talk out there that part of the reason why they've been so hesitant to bench Duvall is because they're worried about hurting his feelings. Actually, not talk. I think that maybe it was Brant, Jeff Brantley said it on the radio broadcast that I heard. They didn't want to hurt his feelings. And that's not the way a billion-dollar billion corporation needs to act, but he's not a... St- Hamilton and Duvall are not starting outfielders for a good team right now. This is something we've learned, and it's something that the Reds need to... And use that information to to decide at the end of the season where do we need to fill spots. I'm just saying they need to put Shebler in center field because we think there's a chance Shebler could be in the mix for the next good Reds team. They should find out if he can play center field, and it'll help sort of illuminate which positions they need to go try to improve in the off season. Yeah, because they need an outfielder. They're going to need one. They're going to need one or the other. But it's easier to find a corner outfielder, wouldn't you think, than a than a center well, fielder? It's especially easier to find a corner outfielder if you have, say, I don't know, approximately 7 million middle infielders who can hit. <laughs> right. Hey, I bet they can play right field or left field. One of them can. Stick them out there. Scooter Jeanette. Scooter Jeanette, even. Yes. Yes. Put him on a corner spot. Is he yes. going to be good defensively? Probably not. He's probably not going to be the worst in the league. As he is at second base. Yeah. The, I mean, and by a mile at second. Yeah. The metrics do not like Scooter Jeanette right. at second base over the last two years. And the eye test doesn't really like him either. So, no. uh, listen, if Shebler can play center, 
then you can sign Scooter to a three or four year contract if he's willing. I don't mind keeping him around because his bat. I'm I'm convinced at this point his bat is uh, legit. And so, uh, you know, if, you, if that's what you want to do, keep him around. If you can't trade him or, and get a big haul for him, that's okay. But he's not going to play center field. So if Shebler can play, it just provides so many more options to the Reds if Shebler can play center field. Yeah. I okay. Completely and fully agree. Awesome. Finally, you agree with me. Let me ask you one last question, then we'll get out because we gotta we gotta wrap this thing up. Um, I got a question on Twitter. Hypothetically, if the Reds continue to play like the past two and two or three weeks, do you still cash in all likely trade chips, Harvey Iglesias, Duvall, Hamilton at the deadline, or do you take a shot at the wild card or division and sort it out in the off season? You want to answer that right now, or you want me to go ahead and give you my answer? I mean, I. I'm still trading my chips. I'm looking at next year. Yeah, my my answer to that was whatever decisions the Reds make at the deadline, the trade deadline, those need to be with an eye on improving the team for the next four years, not for the next two months. It'd be yeah. great for that. And again, this is all hypothetical. Getting into the wild card race, that's that's too much to ask right now. Right, it's a long ways off of that. It's a long shot. But if we got there, the Reds do not need to mortgage the future, so to speak. They don't need to make a big push for the playoffs this year if they can improve the team for the next four years. By which I mean they need to go out and uh, trade for Chris Archer at the trade deadline from the Tampa Bay Rays, and then they need to sign Manny Machado and Dallas Keuchel as free agents in the offseason. Sounds good to me. I'm in. You, you signed that legislation for me, Jason? I will sign that legislation for you, Chadwick. All right. Anything else you want to dig into now before we uh, call it quits? Uh, I think we've covered it all twice. Twice. Oh, Jason, I hate that everybody's not going to be able to listen to the lost episode of Red Leg Nation Radio. This is Red Leg Nation Radio, episode number 215B. I'm Chad Dotson. You can find us on Twitter at Jason Linden. I'm at Dotson C. We're at Red Leg Nation on Twitter and at RedLegNation.com. Every single day we've been talking about the Reds for like a thousand years now, it seems like and still, even in, during the bad times, having fun with it. I want to thank you guys. I want to tell you how much I appreciate the fact that you download and listen to the podcast. It it just it humbles me every week to know that you guys are listening. And uh, and some of you actually tweet at me to tell me what I say at the very end so that uh, I know that you're listening all the way to the very end. If you're listening to the very end, I want you to uh, tweet at me, Tim Adelman. Tim Adelman, that's the that's the key catchphrase I want you to tweet at me. Now, go to iTunes, subscribe, go to Stitcher, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. We're there. Uh, I would appreciate if you go to iTunes and leave a, uh, a good rating for us and a review. It really helps people find the podcast. And our number of ratings and reviews have gone way up, and I appreciate you guys for doing that. I'm just uh, I'm, uh, I'm humbled by this fact. Uh, also, I want you to tell me, if you've listened all the way, whether you'd be interested in doing a live podcast somewhere in the Cincinnati area sometime later in the season because that's something we're talking about and need to know if you guys are going to be interested. We'll talk about it in future podcasts. Jason, it's great talking to you for like 16 hours today. Always a pleasure, Chad. All, well, like for 15 hours and 55 minutes of that were a pleasure. Then there was the five minutes where you were talking. Yeah, for a little while I was mean to Jason. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I'm not going to sleep tonight. For Jason Linden and Lisolverto Bonillo, this is Chad Dotson saying so long, everyone.
Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app and join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week.